Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start because, y'all, I have some notes tonight. (laughs) We'll see if I get through all of them. Um, Well, Father, uh, God, we just give you glory tonight. And I thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, God, amidst all of the things that are happening in the nations, in our nation, God, in our state and city, in this church and individual lives, God, you are sovereign, God, you have a plan, and you are working all things together for good for each one of us, and I, we just worship you tonight, God, as the, the most wise one who can do that. Lord, you give us free will and yet at the same time are constantly able to work all things together for good. And so I just thank you for that tonight, God. You are perfect in wisdom and your ability to guide and shepherd us as individuals and the nations. Who else is a God like you? So we worship you tonight. And I, Lord, we just pray blessing over each um, class that's taking place, over each leader We bless them. We thank you for them, God. Let your word go forth with power um, and with grace and truth. And Lord, we ask that we would be transformed by your word. We thank you for your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, I'm going to jump in. And um, so kind of what started um, the, the thought for this series, I just had this phrase in my mind of when, when did Jesus say to pray? Um, obviously we know from scripture we should pray. There's lots of commands for that. Um, that we're supposed to pray for authorities. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to pray for one another. Um, we're supposed to pray for the gospel to go forth. We're supposed to always give thanks. Um, but there was just that phrase in my mind of when did Jesus say to pray? And I wanted to look in the Gospels and look specifically at the times where Jesus commanded us to pray or taught us about prayer. Um, So I just felt like that was highlighted. And um, that led me to, as I looked at the ones that were highlighted, to kind of categorize things in three specific things that it seemed like Jesus was categorizing things as. So the first one, which we're going to talk about tonight, um, which is the Lord's Prayer, is our daily devotional prayer to keep our hearts in proper alignment. Um, And that's what I have up here. That's what we're going to go through tonight. Um, So that's like the first big category that I, that it seems like Jesus is highlighting a purpose for prayer on is daily devotional prayer. And the purpose of that is to keep our hearts in proper alignment. Um, The second category, which we'll be going over this next week, unless I don't finish tonight, (laughs) um, is about receiving strength. There's two different places where Jesus commands prayer, and the specific focus is that we would be strengthened because we need strength. Um, Strength to stay awake, strength to escape, and strength to stand. So again, that's future, what we're going to go over. And then the third category, as I was looking at this, is Jesus speaking about the harvest and how we're supposed to interact with the harvest, meaning we need to be praying for laborers, we need to be praying for justice without ceasing, um, and we need to be praying for an increase of the Holy Spirit so that we can help those around us. So those are kind of like the categories that I saw. So again, this week we're going over the Lord's Prayer, daily devotional connection with the Father. Next week we're going to be going over 
his prayers where he commissions us to pray, to receive strength. And then lastly, we'll be going over um, his commission to us to pray specifically in regards to our work in the harvest and what's, what we're supposed to be doing. So that's where we're going. Um, and so tonight, what I want to start out with is just the context of, of the Lord's Prayer, which I know Pastor Scott talked about this, and so um, I'm not going to give too much time on it, but I think it's important because um, we've had a lot of teaching since then. Um, but so when I believe when we look at the context of this exhortation of prayer, which is Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, which I kind of want to read that first, actually, sorry. <laughs> which I know we've all read it and heard it, however. Okay, 6, 5 through 13. Okay, so Jesus says, when, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. This is the English Standard Version. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in prayer in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we'll throw this one in there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so we're going to go into a little bit of the context. So, um, quick fact... Jesus refers to the Father 43 times in the book of Matthew, five times in the book of Mark, 18 times in Luke, and 114 times in John. <laughs> 114 times, <laughs> which that's quite a bit more. So Matthew has about half that. Um, so John is the most concentrated book in talking about the Father, but when you begin to look at all the passages where Jesus is referencing the Father in the book of John, it is a lot about him expressing the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and revealing who the Father is. Um, when you get into the book of Matthew, and specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, which he refers to the Father 17 times within Matthews 5, 6, and 7, um, it is all about our relationship to the Father, and it's all about how we are supposed to relate to the Father and how we are supposed to talk to the Father. And so that's why I'm, I'm using this language, proper heart alignment, because when we get into the Sermon on the Mount, the context is Jesus saying, hey, this is how you are supposed to relate to your Heavenly Father, okay? So when he's teaching about prayer, it's, it's concentrating us on my heart and how I'm supposed to approach this God, this Father who's, who's in heaven. So it's getting us into the right relationship with the Father. Um, and one of the pinnacle verses in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 48, where he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? That's like the 
emphasis of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is wanting to teach us how we relate to the Father and how we relate to other people and growing up into maturity in the midst of that. Um, so more than us just being saved and learning to live righteously or being good, we are supposed to truly become like our Father. And so we're supposed to learn how to live for Him and l learn to live like Him. And that's what I believe the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Um, so I, I just kind of wrote this quickly up here. Um, again, looking at the context, so Matthew 5, 13, or sorry, 3 through 12, those are the Beatitudes. Those are like the blessings and the inheritance. When we are living in proper alignment with our Father, the blessings and the inheritance, the Beatitudes that we receive are that we inherit the kingdom, not only of heaven, but the earth. We um, are comforted, we're satisfied, we receive mercy, we see God, we are known as sons of God, and we are persecuted because we're not living for the world. So when we live in proper alignment to the Father, those are the blessings and the inheritance we get. Matthew 5, 13 through 14, which that's when it talks about being salt and light, that's like the effect that we begin to have on the earth. When we're living in proper alignment with the Father, the effect that we have on the earth is bearing light and being salt. Then in Matthew 5, 17 through 48, I have um, the process that's the part, again, which we should be more familiar with this because Pastor Scott just did a great job teaching through all of it. But the process of and getting down to the heart, if I am on the path and the journey to being in alignment with the Father, seeking to be perfect as he is perfect, then I'm going to cultivate certain things in my life and I'm going to cut other things out of my life, no matter the cost, right? I'm going to be cultivating love for my enemies. I'm going to be cutting out lust of my eyes. I'm going to be um, cutting out revenge. So Matthew 17, 5, verse 17 through 48 is all about this process and the things that we're supposed to cultivate in our heart and cut other things out of our heart that's not, um, that's not good for us. And then finally, we get to Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 through 18, which is where we find the Lord's Prayer, and it's the position. So the position of our hearts is that we're supposed to engage with the Father in the secret place, and Jesus specifically teaches us about prayer, fasting, and giving within that context. Um, he refers to all of those that they should be done in, secret, in the secret place in direct relationship with our Father. Um, so within regards to prayer, fasting, and giving, Jesus gives a warning to each one of these disciplines saying, don't do it this way, do it this way, <laughs> okay? So he wants us to understand, when we're engaging with the Father, I don't want you to do it this way, I do want you to do it this way. So it's really specific um, instructions for our hearts. But we're just going to be looking at um, prayer tonight. Uh-oh, I think that's Ivy. <laughs> Okay, so again, why, why is this important for us? Um, a couple of things. I think it's, especially in a charismatic context, well, really, in a, even if you're just like in a more liturgical context, does everyone know what I mean when I say liturgical prayer? It's like you, oh, Catholics are known for this or um, more Orthodox churches where it's like you go in, there is a set prayer that you say maybe every time of the day or certain times of the day, and it's already laid out for you. The Lord's Prayer is a liturgical prayer. Um, 
So whether we're in a charismatic context where people begin to feel the Holy Spirit and shout and rah, 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 or we're in a liturgical context, what happens when you're ingrained in a culture, you begin to think that my prayer is supposed to look like that, or my prayer is supposed to sound like that, or anointed prayer looks like this, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, and so one of the reasons why I think this is important for us to really dive into and look at what did Jesus say about prayer and about my relationship with him that's supposed to happen daily, <laughs> um, and it's supposed to happen with the Father, because if that is set up correctly, then sure, there's going to be corporate prayer where other things are happening, but the most important and foundational part of my prayer life is this, is what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer and how he wants my my heart to be positioned before him. Um, that has to be the foundation of all of our prayer lives. And then as we are in corporate settings and the Holy Spirit's moving in different ways, um, it's going to look different, but we can all be confident knowing that like if we're cultivating this life of prayer with our Father daily and we're aligning in our hearts in the ways that he's commissioning us to, then the rest is just whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, right? <laughs> um, so I think that's why one of the reasons why it's important. Okay, yeah, we're doing pretty good here. Okay, so <clears throat> I want to read first what Jesus says, don't be like. He, he talks about two different groups of people that in context to our prayer life, we are not supposed to be like, like them. Um, we're not supposed to be like the hypocrites, and the Gentiles. The Gentiles, I mean, that's just a word for nations. So it's kind of a really broad um, category that Jesus is saying. So the hypocrites were probably the Pharisees and other religious leaders. Um, we know that because elsewhere Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. In Matthew 23 specifically, he gets pretty intense um, in that passage. So the Gentiles or nations are all others who are not Jewish. But so he's tearing down basically all the forms of prayer that they might have understood, right? They see religious people praying in front of them, and then there's other nations that they could have seen praying, and he's basically saying, I don't want you to do it like any of them. <laughs> this is how I want you to do it, okay? And again, you gotta, we have to think about this. Um, well, I know even in, in the Muslim religion, which happens later, like the things that they declare about God is that God cannot be known, he's not a father, and he doesn't have a son, so this is so different um, when we realize that God is declaring himself as a father and he's actually inviting us into relationship and participation with him. Um, it's important for us to recognize um, just what God is saying here. So, okay, so these two groups of people, the hypocrites and then the nations or the Gentiles, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to pray like them because they have a wrong motivation when they pray. So we're going to look at that a little bit. The hypocrites, he says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues so that they may be seen by others. Their motivation to pray was to be seen by others. Okay? They knew that looking, uh, others looking on would think, wow, like that person is really close to God. Listen to the way that they pray. They sound amazing. <laughs> um, and they liked that. They gained affirmation from it. And on some level, they might not have had a personal prayer life in the secret place 
Um, and so that's a problem. So the hypocrites like to pray in front of others for the sake of others' ears and not the Lord's. Uh, the Gentiles pray out of fear of not being heard. So let's look at that a little bit more. Um, in verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. They think that they will be heard for their many words. So let's think about this here. Has any of us ever been afraid of something, not having enough, or a situation not coming forth in our life? We're afraid, so we begin, we begin praying and asking the Lord for it over and over and over again. There can be a motivation in our hearts that is fear-based, and so we begin pleading with and begging and asking the Lord for something that is more based in fear than it is in faith. Um, that is an important distinction to, to draw out because we elsewhere, which some of the passage we're going to look at, Jesus actually tells us to be persistent in prayer, okay? And yet here he's saying Gentiles heap up empty phrases thinking they'll be heard, Okay? So the difference between those two is when we're persistent in prayer with faith, it means that we have a confident expectation from our Father that He is going to release the promises that we're asking for. If we are praying out of fear and continuing to ask the Lord for something because we're afraid He won't give it, that's a wrong motivation. And we'll draw that out a little bit more why um, later. So I want to highlight that, that persistence with faith is different in prayer than persistence um, with fear. Um, oh, I forgot to say this also about the, the religious leaders or the hypocrites. Um, okay, so they, did, they prayed and they wanted to be seen in front of others and they were praying corporately. Are we commanded to pray corporately? Where in scripture does it say that? a good question. <laughs> First Timothy 2.8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Everywhere. Men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands. If you're everywhere lifting up holy hands, don't you think you'd be drawing attention to yourself? You'd probably look a little silly. <laughs> but the reality is, is that there are places in scripture where we are commanded to go, to, to go and pray everywhere, lift up our hands, that draws attention to ourselves. So on one hand, you have Jesus saying, you know, don't, don't pray to be seen by others. And at the same time, there are times we do pray in front of others. That's not a bad thing. The difference is the motivation of the heart, right? Um, and again, if we don't have a personal relationship with the Father, and then we're going out in public and praying, that's why he's calling them hypocrites, because they're not doing in secret by themselves what they're doing in front of others, and it's making other people think certain things about them, that they're really close to God, that they really know God, that they have all these super awesome anointed prayers, but yet behind closed doors, none of that is even going on. Um, and I liken that to, um, like, think about a husband and wife. If in front of other people, you hug, you talk, you joke, whatever, but behind closed doors, you know, one, one spouse walks in and you don't even say hi and you don't give a hug or anything like that. 
that's a contradiction. You're presenting one thing, but you're relate of your relationship with your spouse in front of others, but behind closed doors, the relationship is not there. That's hypocritical, right? Jesus wants alignment in both. <laughs> not just with our spouses, but also with him. Okay. So, um, so these two motivations to pray that the hypocrites and the Gentiles had, Jesus is saying, this is not good. Like, don't be like this. Don't do these things. Okay. So then he goes into, but when you pray, do this. He says, but when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him in this manner. Therefore, pray. <clears throat> okay, so a couple things. Um, if we have to shut the door, if, we, if I have to go into a room and shut the door, that means I have to be intentional. I have to be intentional about it. It's not something that can just happen. Um, as a, a busy mom... <laughs> Like, yes, I advocate praying wherever, whenever I can, obviously, because sometimes you just have to do that. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, you need to have this time where it is intentional and you are going off by yourself and you're getting alone with me and you're shutting the door, meaning you're shutting everything out. That is important for us as believers to have that specific intentional alone time with, with the Father. Um, so in, to counteract the two things that we are not supposed to do in the context of our prayer life, Jesus highlights tr two truths about our father that we need to understand, which gives us the motivation to pray to him and to him alone in secret. So the first truth is that the father sees me. He says the father sees in secret. Okay. So the, the hypocrites it says that they pray to be seen by others. So on some level, that must mean that we don't, if we're only praying to be seen by others, there must be a belief in our heart that when we go alone in our room with the Lord, like he actually doesn't see me. So that we have to know that when, I, when we are going alone with the Lord, he really does see me. That's a motivation to pray that he really is there when I'm drawing away with him. And the second one is that he knows what I need even before I ask it. Um, if we go into prayer confident of these two things, then Jesus commissions us to pray in a specific way. So we go into the secret place confident of, those, of these two things. He sees me and he knows what I need. And that's the foundation that then gets us into the, um, the Lord's Prayer. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for, ever would, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So as I'm daily going into the place of prayer, if I have faith that he sees me and he knows what I need, then I know as I'm drawing near to him, he sees me, he hears me, he's going to reward me for being in context of, of relationship with him. That's what faith is, right? We have to have faith that um, 
because that's what pleases him. It pleases him when I go alone into the secret place and pray to him and actually believe he's hearing me, he sees me, and he's going to answer me when I'm praying to him. Okay, so this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, um, gives us proper position, proper provision, purity, and protection. So daily we, to, we are to acknowledge and ask for these things from the Lord. So we're going to jump into this a little bit more now. Okay, so to begin, he says, Our Father... Our Father. And I mentioned this in a class I recently taught on forgiveness. This is really interesting. Jesus tells us, go into your room by yourself, shut the door, pray to your Father in heaven. But then all of a sudden, this prayer is plural. Our Father. Like, why not, if I'm going into the room by myself, how come I'm not saying, my Father, my father. He says, no, pray our father. And this is important because right after this prayer, I, I read it, he specifically hones in on the issue of forgiveness. So when I begin praying by myself, I'm saying our father, what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging that one, my faith is not just about myself. I am connected to a body and a family. And he's not just my father, he's our father. And I think that's an important thing, again, for proper heart alignment daily is to acknowledge he's our father, meaning it, this, my faith isn't just me, myself, I, my needs. It's, it's a father of many. Um, we're a part of, of a body, and he's a father of all creation. Um, okay. So Jesus commands us over and over again um, that we are to love one another as he has loved us. So again, when I'm proclaiming our Father, I'm acknowledging that Father, if I believe that you have treated me a certain way and I want your mercy and I want your compassion and I want your love, that that's the same mercy, compassion, and love that he's going to have for somebody else. And we have to begin viewing one another through that lens is that, again, it's not just my father, it's our father, and he will treat you the same way he has treated me. He will bestow the same mercy and affection and love and grace on the other that he will on me. So, being able to declare our Father as I go, as we go into the secret place of prayer is a foundation for living a life of compassion, forgiveness, and mercy. Again, like I, I say I've, I say the Lord's Prayer, but I also use it as a, a launching point. So when I say our Father, that's when I begin thanking him, thanking him for his mercy and compassion on me, and then asking him, like, Lord, help me see that you're that person's father too. <laughs> especially if I'm having an issue with them. Help me to see that you're that you're a father to them too. And the same love and affection that you have for me, you have for them too because you're a father and you're not partial and you don't have favorites. He does have favorites. We're all his favorites, right? I know that anybody that has um, 
more than one kid or adopted kids. Like, you know that. It's like, how does it happen that you love this one child so much, but then another one comes and you have just as much love for them, but they're totally different. But God does that with billions of people. Like, it's mind-boggling, but it's true. Um, so again, just acknowledging our Father is a big statement for us to pray and aligning our heart in this issue of forgiveness that he really draws out in this passage. Uh, okay, so he goes on, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so um, <clears throat> I love being able to come to the Father and acknowledge, again, he's a father. He's not just a distant being off there. He wants relationship. He wants to cover. He wants to protect. He wants to provide. But at the same time, this declaration of hallowed be your name, which means holy is your name, or your name is pure, or your name is set apart. Hallowed be your name. So in the same instance that I'm drawing near to the heart of the Father, and he has made himself available in relationship, I'm also declaring, but you're holy which means, you know, we know these passages. It says we have to find out what is well-pleasing to the Lord. So he's a father and he's a good father, but he also has standards and he also has things that really do please him or really do upset him. And I have to acknowledge that daily because I can't live in this relationship with a father that's just like, oh, everything I'm doing is glorious and it doesn't matter because I'm your child and everything's great. He, he feels affection towards me, but he is so affectionate that he doesn't want me walking in any way that is damaging to me or to you. He has really high standards for us for the sake of love so that we can actually build one another up. I don't know if you guys have noticed this in however long you've been alive, but sin stinks and it is hurtful. It is so hurtful. I hate sin. I hate it in my own life. I hate seeing what it does. So when we're declaring our Father, it's, it's this big hug that he gives us, but it, at the same time, we're saying, you're holy. Help me, God, live in ways that are well-pleasing to you, knowing that it's good for me and it's good for you. Right? So we need to be able to proclaim, again, as we're keeping our hearts daily in proper alignment with the Father, we need to be able to proclaim both aspects of God's nature, his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, but also his holiness and his intensity. I mean, God's intense. <laughs> when you read through the whole of Scripture, he's very intense at times. Um, okay. So the next part of the prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is telling us, hey, daily, I need you to know you got to surrender your will, right? He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Um, so every day we're to acknowledge, because this says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, Right? God the Father, he has a will and a plan for the entire earth. And this is really helpful for us every day to, to begin acknowledging and declaring for a couple of reasons. One, 
<clears throat> again, I don't know if you guys have noticed this in your own lives, but it's really easy to become microscopic or not my, myopic. Is that the right word? Myopic, inward focused, looking at our life and our little problems and whatnot, which we need to be. I mean, we need to have awareness of our life, but God is really big and he really has a plan for all of creation. And he actually is inviting us into that. Um, I want to read this passage from Ephesians 1 verse 10. It says that in the dispension, dispens, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he, meaning the Father, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. So God has this massive plan <laughs> that in heaven and on earth, all things would be gathered together in one in Christ. When we look at the state of the nations today, and we know Jesus is king, and he deserves all glory, all praise, all honor from every single tongue on this earth, we do not see that today. When we are praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're praying into that reality. And we're acknowledging it's not there, it's not here yet, but I'm aligning my life and the goal of my life with that vision that you have. He has a big vision to establish his son as the only one to receive glory and honor, but we can get hyper-focused on our own lives, but saying this prayer can get us into this reality that God is sovereignly doing something in the earth, and I'm literally participating with him in it as I'm uh, releasing this prayer. God wants us to position ourselves to be participants of bringing his will into the earth. Um, this verse came to mind when I was preparing this. Isaiah 40, verse 15, it says, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. So think about this, because this is saying the nations are counted as a small drop. If a nation is a small drop in a bucket, how, small, how much smaller am I, Right? So again, it's just this reality that we are a part of something so massive and so big that God is doing, and he's inviting us into this place of being participants, of seeing an unshakable, everlasting kingdom established on earth. Um, we often have anxiety about the things in this life we can't control, but daily coming to him and asking him for his will to come forth can help remove our grip on what we believe should be and places us in his arms to trust as he does what he knows is necessary to bring the nations into alignment with heaven. Uh, again, God is going to do that. All the nations are going to be brought in subjection to him. And um, it can be scary as we look at what's happening in the earth, but that's why the prayer is so powerful. It's, it's entrusting to him that he will do what he's, what he's wanting to do. All right, so give us this day our daily bread. This is asking the Father for proper prov provision. So daily, we are to ask, believe, and trust the Father for provision. Unlike the Gentiles, we don't need to keep asking for daily provision in a flurry of thinking um, that that's how we get it. But we do acknowledge our need daily to him. This reveals his desire for us to be dependent upon him as his children, like it reveals he wants relationship. Um, 
the Israelites complained about provision. He just wants us to ask for it and then trust that he's going to bring it forth. Jesus emphasizes in two places in the Sermon on the Mount that we cannot first seek external provision and seek the kingdom of God at the same time. Or sorry, he reveals in two places that the Father already knows what we need. Okay, so I'm going to read that. In Matthew 6, 8, he says, For your Father in heaven knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And then later in the chapter, he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. So, Again, it's interesting because I'm framing this in the context of daily prayer, right? Keeping my heart in alignment daily, and Jesus says, give me this day my daily bread, or give us our, our daily bread. And he's saying, but he says that you, the Father already knows what you need before you ask, okay? But I'm still supposed to come to him and ask, but then I leave it there. I ask him for the provision, but then I leave it there. And if anxiety and fear is coming up in my heart throughout the day about provision, it's like he's saying, I, I'm more concerned about the fear and anxiety because I already know what you need. You need to see the fear and anxiety in your own heart, and I want to deal with that. I already know what you need. I'm just asking you to ask me for what you need. And then as you feel like you have lack and you're full of fear and getting afraid, we need to deal with that because that means you're not trusting me. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, so if I'm bound in anxiety about where my provision will come from rather than simply asking and trusting, I will not be of use to help establish his kingdom in my life and in the earth around me. In Matthew 13, he says, um, talking about the word, it says that some... Of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked the seed. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So here we have um, a seed that is falling among, amongst thorns, and the thorns are specifically when the cares and riches of this life choke it, and it becomes unfruitful. So that means that as I'm living my life and I am starting to be concerned, again, about where provision is coming from and fear is starting to spring up and anxiety is starting to spring up, I need to recognize that that is a thorn that's starting to quench and, and choke out the word of God in my heart and I'm going to be unfruitful for the kingdom because what I'm concerned about is the provision, which is what the nations are doing. And he says, no, seek first the kingdom, ask me daily for provision, trust me for it. And if you have fear and anxiety, let's deal with that so that you can be fruitful for my kingdom. Okay. Daily, we have to do this daily where we have to realign our heart with, a, with this because it's natural for us to become concerned about provision and the, the things that we need in our life. And he's like, don't do that. You're going to be unfruitful for my kingdom. So daily, um, align your heart with this prayer. Um, and that's why after releasing this prayer, Jesus goes into detail 
that we must have our treasure in heaven and not here on earth, that we can't serve two masters, God and mammon, and that we must seek first the kingdom and trust the Father, for he will provide us for our daily needs. Okay. So daily, I'm supposed to surrender my fears about provision and just ask him and leave it there with him. It's a hard thing to do. Okay. Um, The next part is uh, about purity. When we are asking the Lord, says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So, I mean, we know this, right? Complete and total forgiveness has already been given to us. But the issue of forgiveness with the Lord is him saying, I have extended this to you. And now, if you want to live in proper alignment with me, you must also go and extend forgiveness to others. Proper alignment, again, the, the whole, I, I, I've, I tried to say this earlier, that the context of the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer is learning to live for the Father and like the Father. He wants me to, to express the Father to you in the same way that I've received the Father in my own heart. So in order to live in proper alignment, I have to both know that I am forgiven, and as I have been forgiven, then I forgive others of any of their sins, any of their weaknesses, anything that has been done against me. Um, Complete and total forgiveness has been made, and therefore I am to forgive others as he has forgiven me. And this issue is, well, I'm actually going to read a couple verses. So 2 Peter 1, verse 5, 7, and 9, it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And then it goes on in verse 7, To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So think about this. Again, the whole purpose is daily I should be acknowledging if there's unforgiveness in my heart towards others. And in Peter, he's saying, if you are not growing in brotherly kindness, um, in love towards one another, you are so short-sighted that you are forgetting that you were even cleansed of your old sins. And that is really hard when we have been hurt by other people. But the reality is, is if we have been hurt by other people, And we know that we have been cleansed from all of our sins and we are holding their sins against them. The scripture is declaring, you are forgetting. You are forgetting what you have been given. And that's why the prayer is saying, forgive me my sins as I forgive others. Because if I'm not forgiving others, I'm forgetting that I myself am forgiven. I'm forgetting that reality. Uh, elsewhere in uh, in First Peter, he says, "And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins." 
First John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In 1 John 3, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we have love for the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Love keeps no account of evil or no record of wrong. So as I am praying this daily, it means I have to be purposeful in taking care of my heart in taking care if there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness, if there's animosity, if there is strife. I have to be taking care of that. Um, I want to point out that there's a difference between forgiving and having open and honest dialogue about issues that have affected your life and or the lives of others. Meaning this, we're called to forgive, full stop. Okay, and I've experienced this in marriage. <laughs> okay, I'm having an issue with Jason. He's up there, by the way. I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm having an issue with Jason. But there are times I have not fully forgiven him, but I go and talk to him. And what happens in that context is I think I have forgiven him, but then when I go to talk to him, all the emotions and frustration and anger comes out and it's harming the relationship, okay? Because ultimately, I'm still angry because I haven't fully forgiven him yet, right? So that's why we have to be so purposeful in our hearts daily to acknowledge, I'm angry at this person. And if we're so angry that every time we, th we have a thought about them, or we are in a conversation with them, like we're feeling that, ugh, there's probably an issue of unforgiveness there. Probably. And I think we all experience that, but that's just for us to go in with the Lord and be like, okay, God, like what am I hanging on to? Like why am I hanging on to this that I am allowing strife and frustration and anger to continue to enter into this relationship. Um, so, but if I have forgiven someone of an offense and we are in relationship, I do the relationship damage if I'm not able to express my experience with that person, okay? So, again, in, mar in the context of marriage, it's like I, Jason and I are obviously in relationship, <laughs> So I have to take care of my heart because then I can address the issues with him. There, there's real things that he does to me or I do to him that are hurtful and sinful. So we have to deal with our heart with the Lord and then be able to go talk to them and say, hey, this is my experience of you. This is what's happening and I'm hurt. That one allows relationship to be restored because if I don't do that, then sometimes bitterness can build up but it also allows him to mature or me to mature because I'm recognizing, huh, the ways that I'm treating this person are actually harmful and hurtful. And them coming to me and expressing that is actually helping me to mature, right? So if we're in relationships, we need to be able, one, to take care of our own hearts where we've been hurt and offer forgiveness and then also be able to come together and have um, open and honest conversations. 
um, being gentle but honest, having candor but grace, and truth with love. Okay? I mean, that's like the goal. Um, in Luke, Jesus adds this, this scripture, which you'll recognize it, onto this part of um, this prayer. He says, good measure, pressed down, spilling over, will be given unto you. Meaning like how you treat others is going to be how you are treated. So we want to treat one another with an, a massive amount of grace. Jason has been teaching about grace. Massive amount of grace because when we have to think about like, okay, is the way that I am treating this person in their weaknesses and in their sins, the way that I want to be treated when I mess up? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Um, how are we dealing with others? Is that how we want to be handled? <clears throat> okay, so that is about aligning our heart in proper purity every day, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. And then the last part is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is proper protection. Lead us not into temptation. That's like saying, God, protect me from myself. <laughs> protect me from myself. Uh, he knows all the ways that we're going to be tempted. Um, the enemy, he really knows how to tempt us. And he tries to ordain our life into getting us into tempting situations, right? So every day asking God, God, lead me not into temptation. Psalm 23 says, lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake, right? That is the path we want to be on, paths of righteousness for your namesake. But this is a, a prayer of protection. God, protect me from myself. Lead me not into temptation. You know the ways that I am tempted. God, help me out of that path. Get me out of that path. We are led astray by temptations, but they are not to overrule us, right? Anybody knows that temptation is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted by something. The temptation is there to entice us to enter into sin. So when we're praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, it's like, keep me away <laughs> even from the temptation that the enemy might bring my way or that my own flesh might bring my way. God, don't lead me there. Lead me not into temptation. And then lastly, deliver us from evil. Deliver me from evil. And again, so I, I started out the prayer. The whole prayer is plural. Again, I think that goes to, we're praying for the whole body of Christ. We're praying for ourselves. But um, obviously you can put it in the first person as you pray it. Um, so deliver, deliver us from evil. So we all know we have an enemy of our soul, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So that's why daily Jesus says, pray for protection. Like it really matters. It really matters for you to pray, to not be drawn into temptation. It really matters to pray every day for protection because the enemy is that relentless. He is that harmful. And so praying daily, keeping yourself in proper alignment, we need to pray for protection for ourselves, right? It's foolishness not to because the enemy is really powerful. My kids, um, they're ask, they ask this question all the time. Is Satan powerful? Um, it's like, well, yeah, he is. But they say, but is God more powerful? And it's like, yes, he's way more powerful. Um, but yet at the same time, Jesus actually tells us, pray for protection, Pray to be delivered from evil. And again, if Jesus is telling us to pray this, it's pretty important. Um, 
So praying that says that I'm, we're trusting the Lord's ability to help me navigate my flesh um, and the attack of the enemy uh, and evil in this age today. So, wow, I ended with four minutes. That's pretty incredible. So, um, yes, to sum up, again, this is our, when Jesus gives specific exhortations about prayer in the Gospels, and when we look at the Lord's Prayer, it's Him wanting us to be in a daily devotional relationship with our Father, and He is commissioning us to, that's why I have these different categories. He wants us to position our hearts rightly before the Father, acknowledging that He is a Father, but He's holy, and we need to expand our understanding of His will that, that He's wanting to bring into the earth. Um, he's wanting us to pray for proper provision, to have provision daily, but not be caught up in anxiety about it. He's wanting us to acknowledge that we have to forgive others so that we can have purity in our hearts. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, we're not walking in purity. And then um, he wants us to pray for protection. So again, interesting to think about. And if you don't pray the Lord's Prayer every day, I encourage you to. It is an awesome prayer. Again, you don't even have to say it verbatim, but it's a springboard. You can use it as a springboard, but it, it is awesome to pray just the words that are there as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to pray since we talked about prayer, and then we'll get out of here. So, Father, um, God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us such um, clear instructions and simplicity, and I pray, Lord God, that you would help us foster um, the correct heart posture in the place of prayer, God, that we that we would be ones um, every day, God, that go into the secret place with you, Lord, that we would be caught up in anxiety, but Father, that we would just enter into relationship and um, truly leaving things in your hands that need to be left in your hands. God, we want to be in proper alignment with you because we want um, to be effective for your kingdom purposes. So we bless you tonight, Father. I just pray refreshing for each one of us as we go home and sleep. And Holy Spirit, we just invite your ministry, dreams and visions, um, just understanding even in the night watches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time. 